So this next song that we're going to sing, Dan introduced several months ago, and I looked at it, and it's a little repetitive, and, and then I heard an account given to me, just about a guy who, whose father was terrible, and he realized the love of God the Father to him, and he was listening to this song, and he listened, and he listened, and he just basked in the glow of the love of the Father, the creator of the universe, and it says in Galatians 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What a good, good father.
he's so good. He is indeed so good. God so loved the world. He loved you and me that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will never perish. Amen. I see the work of your hands, galaxies spinning a heavenly dance, oh God, all that you are is so overwhelming. I hear the sound of your voice, all at once it's a gentle and God as we study his word to us.
Good morning, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to take them. Turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. Our text this morning will be found in chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. As we continue on in our series, what I call Marked for a Mission Today, Learning from the Little Ones. <clears throat> Matt, thank you for leading us. <clears throat> or Sledge, as I call him. Um, what, a, what a great day uh, it was yesterday. A, a special thank you to Yuri Rosie Powell, who just kept Matt and I from killing ourselves, other people, um, each other. Um, I, I, just, I, I just love uh, spending time with this body of believers. Um, and I want to thank the Lord uh, for the church that he has allowed us to be a part of um, at Big Woods. I, I was able to just join uh, with the men yesterday. Um, I just so enjoy RJ, watching RJ with his ability to drive machinery. Uh, Mike De Palma is hilarious. He's hilarious if you get any time to, to spend with Mike. Uh, we are just blessed as a church family. Jay, I appreciate your leadership. Tom and the others, um, God is really doing a neat work. <clears throat> and the, the neatest part of the testimony, Gary was speaking to me, was not, was not the work <clears throat> that was accomplished, but it was the spirit of the workers. And, and to me, that is all about, all about um, God's glory, and we rejoice in that. We have, we have a, um, a neat text before us, but I don't know if you realize or not what today is. Um, if I could just remind you, 44 years ago today, um, January the 22nd, I believe it was 1973, Roe v. Wade was a bill um, that was passed that legalized abortion um, in our country. Um, it was signed into law on that day, and 11 years following, um, on January the 13th, 1984, uh, then-President Ronald Reagan issued a presidential proclamation designating the Sunday closest to January 22nd as Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, uh, simply as a way to remember uh, those little ones um, and also to speak up on their behalf so that others do not have to die. And today is that day that we pause um, for the sanctity of human life Sunday. Uh, but what we must also remember as we seek to minister in the community, this is a day that we must, we must uh, show and share God's love for every single person, regardless of those who have suffered through an abortion themselves. I remember years ago, probably 10 years ago, preaching on this very day and on this very subject, and I just spoke out in a very bold and brash way for the unborn in a way that I think that we should do. And I was met by a young lady afterward, and she came in the most gentle and most kind way, but also reminded me I completely neglected a woman who would have suffered through an abortion. I neglected to minister to her. And, and I have committed from that time never to do that again. And so we have the delight and the reminder that we are all covered by God's grace and we are all forgiven, regardless of any and all sins that every single one of us have done. And so that's the delight. That is the delight that we pause on a day like this. We certainly speak up for the unborn, but we also have a ministry to the living, the ministry of sharing the good news of God's grace. And that is our focus because that's the delight of being followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and understanding the forgiveness that we have received is a forgiveness that we need to continue to extend. And so I want to pause at this time and simply pray uh, for our country. Our, our country, which is just, it is just such a divided 
um, just such ugliness and nastiness, um, a polarization. I, I don't know if I've ever witnessed something like this before. We need to pray for our country, for our leaders. Um, we need to pray uh, for those uh, who have suffered. Um, and we need to pray remembering uh, to hold the sanctity of human life, that every life is created in the image of God. Let's, let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we come before you, and we thank you, Lord, just as we sang that you are a good, good Father. Uh, Lord, that you offered your own Son on our behalf, and, and to try to fathom that type of love is beyond us. But, Lord, with your Spirit, we ask that you would open our eyes, even today, to be reminded afresh and new of the grace that is poured out on us as sinners. Thank you, Lord, that we, we hold a message that is, that is unbelievable. It is unmatched. Father, I would pray that we would not hold it and, and, and hoard it to ourselves, but we would share the good news of God's grace and love and forgiveness to everyone, to everyone. And I pray for our community that is just lost many in complete confusion, chasing after the silliness of this world. Father, I pray as well for our nation, <clears throat> particularly today, as we set a time aside uh, to uh, remember the sacredness and the sanctity of all human life. And I pray, Lord, for also those who have suffered at some level, perhaps a young woman that has endured, uh, perhaps a father, Lord, that made decisions that we know, Lord, that break your heart in many ways, but yet all of us are sinners, and all of sin is a reproach before you as a holy God. We thank you for the healing and the hope that is offered through Jesus. Father, I pray for our president and, and our leaders and the country that is just polarized and, and is just nasty. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would offer and we would hold a view of your kingdom to come. We ask for your will to be done. Now, as we are gathered as a body, I, I thank you for an amazing day yesterday. We give you all of the glory. Father, I also lift up the Simcox family as they lay to rest. Their father, their grandfather, their great-grandfather, Mr. Simcox. I pray, Lord, that we would minister to one another in love, that we would be aware as far as what's happening in other people's lives. We wouldn't just see ourselves. Father, now as your word is open before us, I, I just plead for your help. <clears throat> May I speak only your words. Open our ears now to hear you. Help us, Lord, to have your strength to be obedient to it. We will get rattled at some level, I know, as a result of this text. And I pray, Lord, that we would, we would put our sins, our selfishness, Lord, aside through your grace and see who you've called us to be as children of you. Bless us now. Bless us, Lord. We ask this in the strong and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. <clears throat> I love this text before us. It, it is, uh, makes me remember a little song that probably every single one of us have learned. Or if not, you've learned, you've heard it sung, a children's song in church. It's probably the most well-known, second only to Jesus Loves Me. Um, and it, it summarizes, in a sense, whom the good news. We talk about good news and God's grace is offered to everyone. And this little song that we kind of raised with in Sunday school, we, we all sang what? Um, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. And we remember this red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. We love that song. And I didn't realize, you know, until I read this just recently, this is like politically incorrect today, that there's now a new rendition, a new version of this, because red and yellow, black and white may, may be derogatory in some sense. 
Um, and, and it says this, every color, every race, all are covered by his grace. I love those lyrics too. Either way, both of them remind us what? That, that, that children are just a gift. They're a gift that God has given to us. We have a text before us that in a sense draws all of our attention. Jesus himself is teaching a lesson for us here. And he tells us that we better pay attention to these little ones. I, I love, I love kids. I hope I just never really grow up too much. Um, and I, I was, I read this recently. There was a little writing assignment that was given to a Sunday school class to write a little note to their pastor asking him questions because supposedly pastors can answer questions. I don't know about that. And little kids came up, a little boy, his name was Arnold, he's eight years old, and he writes to his pastor, he says, Dear Pastor, I know that God loves everyone, but has he actually ever met my sister before? <laughs> you kind of think, kids just have this like unfiltered way of speaking, of saying things. In all honesty, we're thinking it. <laughs> we just don't say it. Ten-year-old Tommy writes, Dear Pastor, if God gives everybody brains, I think he forgot my best friend, Megan. <laughs> Carla writes, dear pastor, are there any devils on earth? Because I think there may be one in my class. <clears throat> Kids speak with, with what? Without anyone to impress. They are painfully honest. They are what I have referred to before as, as gut honest. They are upfront in every way. And in our text this morning, Jesus, the greatest teacher, rabbi, tells his followers, in a sense, the Holy Spirit speaks to you and I through his word this morning, and he tells us that if we're going to be we're going to be followers of Jesus, we're going to be Christians, one like Christ, to enter the kingdom of God, we must be childlike in our faith. Now, there's a distinction between being childish, okay, and childlike. I'm not saying, okay, childish, now you're allowed to have a temper tantrum because you didn't get what you want. I'm not talking childish, childlike. Doesn't give us permission to speak what as a child with an unfiltered mouth, hurting or offending. It's not it's. But it talked about the fact that we are to be so upfront that we are as reliant upon the Lord, our Heavenly Father, as a little child would be, completely reliant upon their own parents. Follow along as I read. It's a short text. Mark chapter 10, we pick it up in verse 13. I'll read down through verse 16. <clears throat> and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child's, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Strong words. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. We read the text. We explain the text. Number one, Jesus displays indignation in these first couple verses. Verse 13 and the first part of verse 14, Jesus displays indignation. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus got wind of this, Jesus saw this, he was Indignant. Some translations say that he was greatly displeased. This is the God of, of all the universe. Is indignant here. The word is agonacteo. 
in that, you almost hear some of that word agony that Jesus is it's translated, Mark is, not, Mark is not the gospel that hides emotion, okay? Not a lot of detail, but when there's emotion, he emotes, he shows. And, and Mark is the only one who uses this word here, indignant. It translates incensed. Jesus is incensed. Jesus is irate. He is what I would call in our translation, he is righteously ticked is what Jesus is when he sees this. He is clearly, clearly expressing, do not push these little ones away. Rather, you are to give attention to them. You are to treat them with the utmost of care and of gentleness and of love. Years ago, we were ministering when I was young and my mom and dad had invited neighbors into our home. They were ministering. Uh, to an unsaved family, a really rough family, did not know the Lord. And we had, we had sought to, to love on them the best that we could. And you could tell even the way that they, they, that they were speaking to their children. They were very, very cold, very crass. And one of the little daughters did something or said something, and, and automatically the father responds with this rage of anger. And they're in our home. They're in our living room. And I watched my father immediately stand up and walk toward this man. And he said, in my home, you will never speak to a child. You'll never treat a child like that. This is, this is a man he's supposedly correcting, certainly not in love, his own daughter. But my father witnessed this is not, this is not how it is to be. Why, there's something, there's a, there's, a, there's a parental responsibility here. And I think as adults, we have a responsibility. We kind of get a glimpse of it here. It says they, the, the parents, obviously, were bringing children to him that they might touch them. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, responds, he says, it does not appear that they needed any bodily cure. Remember, people are always coming to Jesus to be healed. Henry writes, it does not appear they needed any bodily cure, nor were they capable of being taught. But they simply brought them to him so that Jesus could simply place his hand on their head. He writes, and I add, a token of commanding and conferring a blessing upon them. It was a very, very common occurrence for a rabbi, a teacher, to bless children in this particular culture. Oftentimes it took place on their very first birthday. It was just a visible way others would see to ask and to trust and to show God's blessing. It really is not unlike what we would have as a baby dedication today, which we actually celebrate in the second service of two little ones. Today, simply what? Asking? This is what we're doing. And we're praying, God, please bless this little one. Please bless little, dear little Lucy, little Joseph. Well, we see in the Old Testament numerous occasions, Genesis chapter 48, if you recall, when, when Jacob is old and he brings Ephraim and Manasseh up on his knee and he confers a blessing upon them and he takes his right hand. Usually it's reserved for the oldest grandchild or the oldest Manasseh, Manasseh, excuse me, but, but it was actually what? It was Ephraim, the younger one, that Jacob places his hands because God had a special plan here. There's a special blessing that was going to be incurred, incurred upon Ephraim. In this particular case, in Matthew chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, it was Jesus, the greatest teacher, greatest shepherd ever who had ever walked on the face of the earth and these parents obviously recognizing something obviously appreciating his teaching and his ministry bringing them to Jesus do you realize we today can learn something certainly we can learn something from these parents we too should have a desire what to bring our children to Jesus. That's, that's a pretty obvious 
that we see even in this text. They, they, they desired, they, they wanted them to be brought to Jesus. We should desire the same thing for our children. We have a responsibility. We know this. We take this very seriously to love our children, to provide for them. We provide the best that we can to protect them, to teach them, to guide them, to correct them. And we offer the very, very best that, that we are capable from, from the time that you found out, Mom, that you were expecting that little one, the obstetrician, that you, you, you looked for the best one that you could find. I want the best care for this little one to the very day that he was born and he was met by a pediatrician. I want, I want immediately him to be checked out, her to be checked out to make sure everything's fine. To the nutritionist to make sure that they're getting... The, the exact and the precise of everything that they need in order to be strong and, and to be healthy. To, as they grow, we take them to the dentist to make sure that their teeth are healthy. They don't have any cavities. They get their checkups. Things are a little shaky in there. We take them to the orthodontist. And we want our children to be what? The best. We, we offer everything from the teachers to the tutors to the coaches, we want, we want, when it comes to our son, my daughter, our child, we want their bodies strong and healthy, we want their minds keen and sharp, and we will go to great lengths. We want them polite. We want them polished. We want our children pretty. We want our children perfect. Do you realize that of all the emphasis and focuses that we offer to our little child, you realize that there's one part of your child that is actually going to last forever and ever and ever, and it is their soul. One part, we put a lot of it, and we should do that, we should. But there's one part of your child that is going to last for eternity. Therefore, what, what am I saying? What am I getting to? Our child's soul, the soul of our sons and our daughters, should be the single most important concern for us as parents. Yet many parents, certainly I have fallen into this trap, put far more interest, far more investment into their kids' sports and their teams and their hobbies, and their future income-earning potential than they do focusing on their own child's hearts. Do you realize that? How, how wrong. What a horrid, horrible mistake. The parents are making all over the place. Not only are we misled, it is misleading to our children. My concern as a pastor, even of this flock, let alone, we've got to nail this down here before we minister to the community. My, my, my concern is that we have kids today that actually think that success in their sport of interest or their educational choice or field of direction for the career that is actually that success is based on scholarships. Is based on where they, where they get to, 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 to check or to mark, to notch, pad their resumes in some way. My concern is, is that, that kids today think that is success as opposed to what? Whether or not their own soul has been completely captured and controlled by the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Kids actually believe that. And guess what? Parents, moms and dads, you taught them that. You taught them that. And, and we, we have a responsibility to have a message that is totally different, totally different, and flies in the face of everything that the world is being taught. And yet we ourselves struggle with an understanding of this. What are we to do? We are to bring little ones to Jesus, it is the biggest concern that we are to have. We are to be speaking more of this, about this, than any other subject in your home. 
Jesus displays indignation towards anyone, even us as parents, who get in the way of those little ones coming to Jesus. Number two, Jesus offers an explanation here in verses 14, latter part of 14 and verse 15. Jesus offers an explanation. Begins by making a very, very strong statement. And he said to them, let the, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. <laughs> the kingdom of God belongs to these little ones. Truly I say to whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, a childlike faith shall not enter it. Now if you recall, it really was not that long ago. Was it days, perhaps a couple weeks at most? Mark chapter 9, just the previous chapter, Jesus was teaching his disciples two statements, verses 36 and 37. He took a child, he put him in the midst of them, and taking him up in his arms said, whoever receives one such little child in my name receives me. He's placing an importance and emphasis on these little ones. A couple verses, five verses later, verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it'd be better for him to have a great millstone hung around his neck and thrown into the depths of the sea. That's pretty graphic. It's pretty strong statements here. And yet it seems the disciples forgot again rather quickly. This is days. Now, we do not know why. Why would the disciples forget? He just taught them on this subject. I don't know why, but I, I could guess. I, I, I would think, you know what? One of the reasons, I think, is that kids were always there. There was always, there's just there's crowds of people. Kids were always kind of underfoot. You ever feel like that? They're just always like scurrying around. It's easy, it's easy to what? Just, just not see that. Or, or worse yet, it's, it's kind of easy for us to see the little ones that are scurrying around and wish that they're not there. Right? And Jesus, he corrects their thinking. He says, there's no doubt. They can be a little smelly at times and they can be sticky and they certainly make messes and they break things. They can say things that embarrass us or even anger us. But Jesus corrects their thinking and, and he sees this as he always does, the great teacher, as a teachable moment. This is not Jesus just once again scolding his what? His his ever so slow learning disciples. This is not just Jesus continuing to rant off on these guys. Jesus sees a teachable moment and he offers a complete new way of, of a new view, I should say, of faith. He presents a clearer view of the kingdom of God. And he commends this faith, what does it say, like a child. He commends faith like a child. Now think for a moment of children. They, they are what? These little ones. They have, they have no resources in and of themselves. They have no clout. They have no wealth in and of themselves. They have absolutely no influence. They have, they have no claim on anything except the fact that they are your child. You bore them, or perhaps you adopted them, and they now bear your last name. In and of themselves, they have nothing. They are totally dependent upon you, especially when they're those little ones. You are their what? You are their ticket to everything, to a meal, to food, to water, to warmth, to safety, to comfort, to education. You're their comfort, uh, you, you are their, your, their means to life in general. You bathe them, you clothe them, you read to them, you teach them, you drive them wherever. And when your child comes to a place that they know that you care about them, that you are there for them, a child is not shy in coming to you to say, can I have a second piece of cake, please? Wait a minute. 
Yeah, I just offered you one, and now you're looking. Yeah, because they know we care for them. They're not shy for asking for $5 from dad or mom or $50 from dad or mom. They, they, they seem to be what? They have this whole idea of depending upon you and, like, leaning on you and resting in you and trusting you. They have it down. They're pretty good at it. remember a time years ago when I was tucking Seth into bed. And, of course, kids, they'll just try anything. You know, we're having, like, like great parties out in the living room. That's what he thinks. And so, literally, he's finding any excuse. And he said, Dad, I just, can I please, just please, I, I need a drink of water. I said, you need a drink of water? You just had a drink. He goes, no, I'm thirsting to death. So I, li- I said, so if you, like, don't, if I, if I don't get you a glass of water right now, I said, then you will be dead in the morning. He said, yes, Dad, I will be. <laughs> are, you, are you serious? Get to bed. And they have this idea they are just completely, however, desperately reliant as our children are upon us as parents. Jesus, at this moment, commends this. To realize that he uses this childlike behavior as an example or as an analogy of what our faith, my faith, our trust, our total dependence upon God should look like. Whereas what, what, what I have found is this. We as parents, we have, we have grown up. And we have become sophisticated, domesticated. And we, we, we wipe the food that is on the side of our lip when we are eating off. Kids don't care about that. They just, they just want more barbecue. And, and we, we come to a place that we are capable, that we are independent, oftentimes saying, I tell you what, God, I, I got this. You, you're really busy. Take care of the little poor people of this world. And if I get into trouble, then I'll give you a call. How wrong, how dangerous is that thinking? How arrogant. If I get in trouble, then I'll give you a call. How, how destructive, how prideful is that way of thinking? We, we have got to learn. We, have, we, we need to be totally dependent upon God, Jesus is calling his listeners and you and I, what? To complete and total dependence upon him and him alone. Did did you hear that statement? That Jesus is calling us in humble, what? To be completely dependent upon him and him alone. Think, Think what? Think gospel. It's rooted in what? One cannot be saved unless you first you, you realize and understand that you need to be saved, that you need a Savior. There's a sense of what? Desperation apart from. There's a holy God and we are sinful men. There's this great chasm. And until we put our faith and trust in the only one who is perfect, the gift that was given to us, God's own Son, who bore the wrath of his holy heavenly father so that we what we can be forgiven we can have life eternal I, I began recently remember the men's retreat remember, remember the rocks here okay remember the commitments I, I began there were 70 men in a room and I began these are capable men successful men hardworking men intelligent men and I began by reading in Second Chronicles chapter 20 where the Israelites are just completely surrounded by a coalition of forces. They are outnumbered unbelievably. And they cry out, and I, and I quote in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 12. This is the first thing I read to the men when we got together. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What, what are we creating here? A childlike Faith, Lord, I tell you what, we are, we are fixated. David writes in Psalm 141, who knew a little bit about being a scared, terrified, 
on the run. And David writes in Psalm 141, verse 8, but my eyes are fixed on you, sovereign Lord. Oh, I get the privilege of watching my, spending time with my little grandson, baby Bogue, and it's just, I just love, and I sit, and I make faces, and he's making faces, and I, I'm like the hero of his life until mama walks in the room. I mean, he's three months old, and he knows her voice. And like, I'm doing everything I can, and like, I'm his hero until daddy's there. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, back seat. Because he knows already. He watches. Already he's watching. I know my daddy. I know that he cares for me. I know that he protects me. I know my mama's voice. My eyes are fixed. That's the faith that we are to have. We are to be as transfixed on our Heavenly Father as our little ones are on us. Thirdly and finally, Jesus concludes with this benediction in verse 16. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. I don't know if you pick up on it or not, but by the very mention here of the fact that he took them, plural, there's more than one, in his arms, probably reveals to us um, these aren't teenagers, okay? Uh, these are probably not even seven, eight, nine-year-old kids. They're probably what? He took them, plural, more than one, in his arms. They're probably babies, little ones, toddlers, little tykes, scooping them up in his arms on his lap. There is something that is amazingly, gloriously beautiful about this scene right here. Pause on that. I, I read this week. This is when the creator cradles his creation. All the beauty around us, the amazing animal kingdom, and we are still mesmerized by Nat Geo. Like, look at the, look at the, look at the eye of that bird. It's amazing. At the very height, the only one created in the image of God are, are, are his own. You, you know the feeling, don't you remember, before your kids got too big? Remember, moms, before they got too cool to snuggle? And, and they would lay on, on your chest? And you would fall asleep with them? And you know that's, what, that's exactly what God wants to do with us. That's what God wants to do. We are made for relationship. Do, do you realize, apart from our salvation, you realize apart from the gift of our spouse, if you are married, there is no greater gift that is given to us than our own children. Let's pause and thank God for them. Sticky fingers and all. Let, let, let's, let's, let's love them. Let's introduce them to Jesus. Let's teach them and let's pray for them. And let's live out the gospel for them. Teaching them what? That daddy is desperately reliant upon my Savior. And what? And let's learn from their childlike faith. Just as a child with runny nose says, Father, Daddy, I, I need you right now. Daddy, I need you. Let, let's live that type of faith. That's who we're crying out to, our Abba Father. Uh, Father, Dad, I'm, I'm really scared like right now. I don't, know, I, like, I don't know what to do. Remember when our children got scared and you what you soothed them and my dad would rub my back and he would pray first and foremost point to the verse that he hung above my bed first john 4 4 greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world that was the comfort and a child says forgive me forgive me I, w I was wrong with the way that I treated my sister or my brother. Mom, will you forgive me? That, that we are to be that reliant. 
read the text, we explained the text, we applied the text. A, pray that God would allow you to see children as Jesus sees them. Oh, may we not see them just what? Scurrying around underfoot. Pray that God would allow us, you, me, to see children as Jesus sees them. Secondly, confess the sin of pride and self-reliance that so easily comes when we supposedly grow up. And we don't need anyone anymore. That is just so wrong. That is just so arrogant. That is just so prideful. That is so far from gospel life. Thirdly, seek to be as reliant upon our Heavenly Father as children are reliant upon their parents. May that be our prayer. That we are as desperately reliant upon our Heavenly Father literally for everything that our children are upon us. Father, we know that we have a commission before us that is not easy, that is hard, that we cannot accomplish in our own strength. But I would pray, Lord, that uh, you would equip us, empower us uh, to be obedient. We love you and we thank you for graciously loving us. In your name we pray. Amen. Just stand with us, please, as we close.
go in his peace. You're dismissed.